So this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, more accountable government. I'm Todd McKay. I'm joined by our federal director, Franco Terrazano. We're getting into uh, some of the big problems with the so-called temporary pandemic subsidies coming out of Ottawa. Not everything's smooth with that. Uh, We're going to talk through some of that. And our investigative journalist, James Wood, Jimbo, he dug up some big problems with license plates in Ontario. Like, I'm not very good. I'm not a good mechanic. I'm going to say that right now. But I can change a license plate. I don't even understand how this could get screwed up. But uh, Franco, before we get into all that, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. You know, I'm still in Calgary getting ready for the move out there to Ottawa. The movers are coming July 7th. But the one thing that I really need to figure out, and you could probably see it if you're watching the video, is that my home is a complete disaster right now. I got a ton of work to do to get ready for this move. Now, my only saving grace here is that my girlfriend, the boss, she's on her two-week set working up north. So I got about two weeks here to get this house in order, clean up this mess before the boss comes home and before the movers come here on July 7th. Oh, man. I, you, I can't even tell you how tempted I am to send this video to her specifically. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like that needs to happen. Okay, but <laughs> let's not get you into too tr- much trouble. Let's uh, let's get into, into some of the topics of the day. Job numbers are coming out. And the more we see the impact in the job market, the more we see that it's really two things happening. So private job numbers are down, way down from where they were before the pandemic. We've lost almost... Well, actually, more than 700,000 private sector jobs since uh, everything hit the fan in early 2020. That's an awful lot of people who lost their jobs. But look on the other side of the spectrum, 136,000 new jobs in government. So private sector paying all of these taxes, there's 136,000 new bureaucrats to pay. It's clear we've got a we got a tale of two pandemics. On one side, we've got people losing their jobs or holding on to them by their fingernails in the private sector, and uh, bureaucrats they hold on to their spots and maybe even apply for a new one because there's some uh, openings. So it really does highlight the problem, and especially when you look at Post Media, they've got a recent report out as well. The number of federal government employees, bureaucracy run by Ottawa, has grown by uh, roughly ten thousand people per year under the Trudeau government. So the number of federal bureaucrats we're all paying for now is 380,000. Man, that's crazy. And you know, it's not like we're just paying for more bureaucrats. On top of that, we're also paying for more bureaucrats with bigger bureaucrats salaries. Um, You know, we've been detailing this nonstop during pandemic and the lockdown, but there was thousands of municipal government employees in, in Toronto and in Calgary who received a pay raise during lockdowns in 2020. Thousands of provincial government employees here in Alberta who received a pay raise as well during lockdowns. And we just put out a report, more than 11,500 university and college employees who were pocketing pay raises during these government restrictions. So not only are we paying for more bureaucrats, but we're also paying for bigger bureaucrat salaries, which is absolutely crazy. And one of the reasons why this is so important is that, hey, if we're going to tackle these debt problems across the country, well, we're going to have to tackle these bigger bureaucrat salaries and more bureaucrats. And, you know, speaking of the debt 
problem? Well, we all know that the federal government's debt is huge. Budget 2021 is nearly doubling the pre-pandemic debt within a few years. Our, our federal debt is currently sitting at a trillion dollars. That is more than $28,000 per person. So we know the debt situation is bad. But it turns out that the debt problem is even worse than what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau or Finance Minister Christia Freeland would have us believe. Surprise, surprise, right? The Trudeau government likes to tout or talk about how Canada apparently has a low debt to GDP ratio. That's what they like to say. But, you know, the Fraser Institute, that think tank in Canada, has been doing some good work. And it's showing that when you actually look at total indebtedness, Canada actually has the fifth highest debt relative to our economy among 29 industrialized countries. So, uh, yeah, turns out we're at the bottom of the pack. Yeah, that debt to GDP number is big, but it's sort of hard to wrap your head around a little bit. It's like uh, trying to figure out scoring in tennis. If you're not really into tennis, it doesn't really make any sense. So 118% of GDP, that's like taking every single dollar we generate in the economy for a full year, using it to pay down debt and still not having enough to get to zero. And worse than that, when you separate the provincial and the federal debt, it really doesn't make any sense. That debt is on one person, the taxpayer. That's like pretending, feeling really good about yourself because one of your credit cards is getting paid down while you're racking the other one up. It doesn't make any sense. It all lands on you either way. But we need to talk about what's getting us into this. Some of this massive spending on, uh, on COVID uh, subsidy programs is, is one thing a year ago when this stuff was coming out quick. But now we're more than a year into this and we need to fix up some really glaring problems. Let's talk about that in a minute. All right, Franco, we all know that Ottawa has a huge spending problem. The federal debt alone is over a trillion dollars. And of course, one of the main reasons that we've got all of that debt is the crazy amount of spending on pandemic subsidies. We hear all the time, hey, give the government a break. They're going fast. It was a big problem. What do you make of that? Yeah, okay. You know, I get it. The government was trying to get money out the door real fast. So maybe there's some loose ends to tie up. But look, the rules can't be so loose they can drive a truck right through them. And another thing, probably more important, is that we're more than a year into COVID-19 here. This thing didn't happen yesterday. We're more than a year in. So much more should have been done and much more needs to be done to patch up these holes and all the COVID-19 spending. And, you know, here's a good example that comes right to my mind. Man, do you remember that movie, The Sixth Sense? You had a little boy who's like, I see dead people. Yeah, that movie freaked me out. I was like four years old, five years old when I first watched it. Couldn't sleep for months, maybe years. Well, it turns out that we have our own little Canadian taxpayer twist on The Sixth Sense. We may not be seeing dead people, but in Canada, it turns out taxpayers are subsidizing dead people during the pandemic. Man, you're making me feel so old. I watched that, uh, that movie in the theater in university. Also, uh, now I kind of feel like a scaredy cat because it scared me huge too. Uh, so me and uh, four-year-old uh, you, uh, I guess we were probably in the same uh, situation there. But listen, we got to break this down here. Regardless of scary movies, we're talking about some scary numbers here. And how do you waste money subsidizing dead people? 
Yeah, well, the feds sent $9 million worth of COVID-19 subsidies to, well, people who died before COVID-19. Now, this extra money, it was supposed to help people with disabilities during COVID-19. And because some of the families didn't update the status of their loved ones who passed away, they were still eligible to receive that government program. So, you know what? Okay, it's, it sounds like an honest mistake from the government. Uh, that's not really the huge issue. Uh, I think what's the bigger issue here is that you have the government who sent $9 million in COVID-19 subsidies to more than 15,000 dead people, but the government isn't even trying to get some of that money back. That's the real issue here. Yeah, it's one thing to make a mistake, especially when you're going quickly in a crisis, uh, but it's another thing when you're not even trying to fix that problem. I really think the government could send a note saying, hey, this went there by mistake. Can we work something out? I think a lot of Canadians would be, you know, of course, let's figure this out. They could at least try. That's not the only place where we're getting a little bit frustrated. Look at Air Canada. So it got more than $600 million in wage subsidies. It was right there, right at the start. Planes were grounded, got the wage subsidies. But then it gave big bonuses to executives. And some of those bonuses hit those executive bank accounts just before there was a multi-billion dollar loan bailout from the government. What a coincidence, hey? This huge multi-billion dollar bailout comes. And just before that, the uh, the bonuses roll out for the executives. I, It's amazing when that... Uh, Things line up just perfectly like that. Yeah. And man, I'm ticked off about all this. I think all taxpayers should be just completely uh, ticked off about it as well. I know our BC director, Chris Sims, I mean, she was ready to jump over the boards to get into a scrap over this one. But I think we do have to break down the situation a little bit more for our listeners. Um, and the place to start is that the federal government gave Air Canada about $6 billion in a bailout, much of it through loans. So for starters, taxpayers are on the hook for a serious amount of money. And, and one of the strings attached that did go with this bailout was moving forward, there has to be a cap on executive compensation. You know, I think that's a good move from the federal government. Uh, at the very least, if a company is going to be just collecting a huge chunk of taxpayer cash, then at the very least, there should be a cap on executive compensation, right? So to find out that the execs at Air Canada were getting bonuses, though, really is a slap in the face, even though they did decide to pay some of that bonus money back after public outcry. Um, and, and one of the reasons it's so frustrating is because on top of that about $6 billion bailout, as you mentioned, Air Canada was already receiving hundreds of millions of dollars through the federal wage subsidy. Yeah, it's tough to listen to somebody crying poor uh, when the you know, folks are driving to work in Mercedes are uh, cashing big bonus checks. Makes that a little tough. And of course, Air Canada is the only one. Members of parliament are absolutely hammering NAV Canada to pay back the $7 million that its executives and management received while the company was also getting subsidies from taxpayers. Listen, I can we just distill this to like a, a pretty clear recommendation? If your company's in big trouble, and you need help from taxpayers, maybe you dial it back on paying out major bonuses. It doesn't make sense to go cap in hand and then go take cash to the bank. This is absolutely crazy. This kind of thing needs to get tightened up in a big way. 
Well, let's tackle a different side of this. Like a lot of us, I think, have had some sleepless nights in the last year. There's been some really stressful times. Here's something I haven't lost a wink over, not a single wink. What if political parties don't have enough money for attack ads? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What if we don't have those like dark, ominous uh, uh, ads like uh, the leader of the other party is eating kittens? Well, is this really going to be a problem? Is anybody uh, worried about that? Well, first of all, I've never seen an attack ad like that, but I kind of want to see an attack ad like that. <laughs> but second, man, you're you're hitting the head on the nail right now um, because we have a bunch of political parties shoving their snouts deeper and deeper into the taxpayer trough. We, we heard that the federal liberals, the conservatives, the new Democrats, and the Greens all helped themselves to that federal wage subsidy, which was meant to help struggling businesses get through government lockdowns. To be fair, though, to be fair, Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole, he said his party stopped taking the wage subsidy and they'll pay that money back. We also heard the Liberals say that they would stop taking it, but we haven't heard whether or not they're going to pay back the wage subsidy. But a key issue here is that we have these political parties who are already getting very special taxpayer treatment, right? There's First, there's the tax credit for political contributions, which have already cost Canadian taxpayers $145 million since 2016. And on top of that, there's political parties who also get some of their election campaign expenses reimbursed. And these reimbursements for that 2015 federal election cost about $60 million. So tons of money from taxpayers already going to these political parties. In Alberta, my neck of the woods, we find out the United Conservatives also help themselves to that wage subsidy. And, and of course, they're also getting special taxpayer treatment before that. Here's a, here's a clear example of just how crazy this is, right? So if you donate 200 bucks to the UCP, you get a tax credit for 150 bucks. If, however, you donate that 200 bucks to the Red Cross, you only receive a $20 provincial tax credit. So talk about these crazy priorities here. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. Listen, I understand people, uh, you know, they're passionate about politics, want to donate, want to door knock, all that kind of stuff. Hey, listen, that's part of the process. Have fun with it. But drop by your, your late, uh, local campaign office in the next election. Then go drop by the soup kitchen down the street and ask yourself, which one really needs the better tax breaks? I don't know. I think it's a pretty, uh, pretty hard to argue that politicians need it more. Listen, we need way more transparency. We need more common sense on these things. The transparency and accountability aspect of this is huge. A lot of these subsidies are flying out to businesses and parties. We, it's hard to tell who's getting what, how much they're getting. Hard to tell if any of the money is getting paid back. There needs to be so much more transparency on all of this. But let's shift gears a little bit here, Franco. We've made some recommendations on how to fix this, but this isn't just a, a tinker. This isn't something where, you know, we're fixing uh, the mirror on the car. We've got some big engine problems here. It's really important to get this fixed quickly. Why is it so important? Well, the main reason that we have to fix this and fix it fast is just the sheer size of the cost, right? The wage subsidy, which we've been talking about throughout this segment, is expected to cost taxpayers 
more than $110 billion over two years, right? So that's more on the wage subsidy than EI benefits. That's more on the wage subsidy than the Canada child benefit. And that's more on the wage subsidy than equalization, just for example. Now, the parliamentary budget officer, they've done some great analysis on all these costs, and, and they included it in their pre-budget report. And the PBO estimated that the federal government spent $270 billion in 2020 on COVID-19. Now, to put that into perspective, that amount of spending just on COVID-19 would make up 75% of all federal government spending just the year before. So that's a crazy amount of spending here. And another thing that the PBO's analysis showed us is that, well, we, we actually can get to pre-pandemic levels of deficits relatively easy. But for that to happen, I mean, the main thing that needs to happen is that all this temporary spending needs to remain, well, just that, temporary. Yeah, it's funny. This seems like a no-brainer. If it's temporary, it shouldn't last forever. But of course, then you think of that that quote. Remember uh, Milton Friedman won the Nobel Prize, economist, uh, very smart guy. He used to, uh, I think, hopefully, half-jokingly say, nothing is so permanent as a temporary government program. Man, we need all of our supporters at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, we're going to need some help making sure that these temporary programs stay temporary. It's not going to be automatic. It's going to happen if we push uh, to do it. So, Franco, why is it so important to keep these uh, these pandemic subsidies temporary, what's the economic impact of letting these drag on forever? Well, man, that's that's a really good question, especially right now. I think economic recovery and getting these thousands of Canadians back to work is is really on top of everyone's mind. And Todd, let me tell you, I mean, it doesn't take a Nobel Prize in economics to understand that if you pay people not to work, you're going to get fewer people who want to work, right? So if we continue to subsidize unemployment, well, we're going to stall our economic recovery. We're, we're, we're going to make it harder for businesses to get their employees back to work. And, and that's exactly what we have been hearing from some businesses. There, there was a survey from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business that found 43%, nearly half of small businesses having difficulty hiring people because they believed workers, quote, would rather collect EI or other COVID-related benefits. Yeah, you know what? You get what you pay for. That's true in so many things in life, both to the good and the bad. If you pay people not to work, you'll probably have fewer people working. Okay. So that's the big issue that we're diving into, but we keep an eye on the small things. All the small things add up to the big things. That's why we've got James Wood, our investigative reporter, hanging around. Jimbo, we affectionately uh, refer to him as. He needs to keep an eye on license plates. In Ontario, seems like somehow the government there wasted a lot of money on license plates. We'll talk about that. All right, we've got James Wood here. James Wood, Jimbo, our investigative reporter. And listen, I think if you were going to tally up a list of problems that uh, Ontario Premier Doug Ford has, it's kind of a long list. He's got a few things cooking right now. Somehow license plates? or on his list of problems. Jimbo, what's going on here? Yeah, so um, people might remember uh, way back before COVID-19 arrived in, in Canada, Ontario uh, Premier Doug Ford, he tried to bring in new license plates for the province. It blew up in his face. And as it turns out, the new plates actually cost more than the old. Okay, so you've, you, we've been chatting about this a little bit going back and forth here. But for those of us who aren't from Ontario, 
how do you screw up license plates? Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a fun question. So, so back in April 2019, the Ontario government, they announced they'd be doing a redesign of license plates for Ontario residents. Trouble was with the old plates, sometimes they'd be peeling, there was some quality control issues, all that stuff kind of rolled together that they want to make a new design. And the new design was going to be a new look, which would physically last longer than the design it replaced. Listen to this. Uh, through, through you, Mr. Speaker, I just want to remind the House and the people of Ontario, changing the license plates doesn't cost a penny to the taxpayers. It's, uh, they're still producing the plates. It's going to be the same cost. Now, the colour scheme for the new design was a bit on the nose. It was a lot of emphasis on blue, which had some saying the plates either looked like uh, progressive conservative colours or a Q-tip box. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I know everybody wants the, the newest, shiniest thing, but sometimes you just gotta, you gotta stick with the classic. Here in Saskatchewan, we put the, the, the green letters and numbers on a white background. Sometimes the graphic, you can get some fancy Rough Rider ones now, but like by and large, just, uh, you know, it works. We don't really gotta mess with it much. Yeah, like you don't, you don't mess with the classic. Saskatchewan plates, uh, I don't think they changed very much since the 70s. So, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, if it's not, if it's not very broken, maybe don't mess with it too much. Now, as it turns out, like I mentioned, the new plates were more expensive to make per plate than the old. Now I know that because the records I obtained from the province show the price of standard passenger plates in both English and French spiking from $3.60 per plate September 2019 to $4.54 per plate in January 2020 before going back to the old price per plate in June of that year. Now, that rise and fall lined up with the rollout and subsequent abandonment of the new plates. All told, Ontario taxpayers paid an extra cost just over $238,000 during the run and abandonment of the new plates. Okay, so they try new plates. Turns out they're way more expensive. It wastes over 200 grand. Oh man, I, this, is, this is not gonna be a good day for the government. You're gonna get made <laughs> fun of. When you're on the old school ground there, you're gonna get made fun of on this one. How did that go for them? Yeah, like it didn't it didn't go well. The the press gallery had a field day with it. Um, basically, like a few weeks into the rollout of the new plates at the start of January at the uh, start of 2020, there, both the public and police officers were saying they couldn't read the plates at night. They were they were too shiny. When you shine your headlights on it, or the, the cops were trying to scan it in some way, shape, or form, you couldn't see what was said. Um, now, if you're trying to avoid the police, you'd love these plates. But I don't think that's what the Ford government was actually going for. Yeah, that's not really a selling point for license plates. The point no. of license plates is that then you can identify the vehicle. If you can't see it, what in the world is the point? Okay, but somebody's got to pay the piper here. Somebody's got to defend this stuff. One of their ministers, <laughs> I think it was Lisa Thompson, she had to go out there. She had to uh, polish the proverbial turd. How'd that go? <laughs> Yeah, it, it didn't it didn't go well. Like uh, I remember Ms. Thompson, she said they're very readable. Uh, there was one key quote there that they were an improvement over the old liberal plates, which didn't exactly land. Uh, a few weeks into that whole circus, the province acknowledged they had a problem on their hands. Um, they tried to do some some brief fixes. They tried to issue advance plates in March, which had the same high cost again. And then by May, Ford threw in the towel and officially brought back the original plate design. 
okay so and once they decide to bring back the uh the old plates then you're like okay now now we gotta dig into this yeah so yeah. so what tell us what how did you jump into this yeah so i mean when i saw that whole that all go down i was curious like okay like this this obviously did not go very well how much did it actually end up costing people maybe uh maybe there was a cost difference maybe it was cheaper to make who knows you gotta actually ask to you have to pull the records and see now I pulled the records, took a while. Um, there was a bit of back and forth with the province about uh, the exact number of stuff I would get back, uh, what it would say, how much it would cost, that kind of thing. Eventually, I had a package of uh, price records in my hand, and it showed me clearly that there was a cost between the new and the old, which was pretty significant. Um, so I decided to ask them about the price, like what was going on there, especially in the wake of uh, the Premier, Premier Ford's comments in legislature, which I'll play again for good measure. Uh, through, through you, Mr. Speaker, I just want to remind the House and the people of Ontario, changing the license plates doesn't cost a penny to the taxpayers. It's, they're still producing the plates. It's going to be the same cost. Now, the Ministry of Government Consumer Services, which handled the project, they didn't say anything much to me. They basically repeated the province's holding lines about reaching a solution for the plate supplier to get around the uh, the reflective problem, but nothing of any substance. Okay, so just kind of yada yada from them. They basically. try the new plates, they don't work, uh, yada yada. These things happen. That's yeah. pretty much all, hey? Yeah, they want to forget, uh, yeah, like they, they want to forget it really ever happened. Now, I check with the opposition as well, like you do, um, and MPP Jennifer French, she uh, did not hold back on what she said. I'll, I'll read back her quote. Ford's faulty vanity plates cost drivers hundreds of thousands of dollars for plates they didn't need and they never asked for. Now, she went on to say that there are costs of time, money, and frustration for Ontarians to get the plates in the first place, which I can attest to because I have them, um, which she described, again, as expensive and effective. And she finished off, on top of that, it continues to risk public safety while people still drive around with plates only suitable for a getaway car. Oh, man. So, okay. So now they're going back to the old plates. They had plates. The plates worked okay. Not perfect, but worked yeah. pretty good. Try new plates. Don't work at all. Cops can't even see them at night. But now they're going back to the old plates again, right? And listen, okay, everybody makes mistakes. You did something dumb. You learn from it. You go back to the old way and it's just going to stay that way, right? Yeah, uh, honest to God, I, I hope it stays that way. Um, but there was a bit of rumbling back in February about a replacement plate getting worked on again. In the meantime, hopefully that doesn't come to pass, but I'll stick with my Q-tip box plates in the meantime. Yeah, you're going to want to just... Uh bolt that onto your car hard make it make it hard to to change that because you're probably going to want to stick with what you've got yeah. uh listen on a serious note though we've got to stay on top of uh of these silly waste watch stories because the small waste add up to the big waste that's where we get these huge debts from and we need a culture change in government these politicians and bureaucrats need to treat your money with respect that's why we make fun of them when they don't and we'll have the whole story in the uh, show notes if you want to take a closer look. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Jimbo James Wood for filing all those freedom of information requests, digging up all of that government waste and editing the show, making it sort of kind of sound like maybe we kind of know what we're talking about. So thanks to Jimbo and uh, for all of you. Thank you so much for listening.
Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.